The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. Recognizing the unsung heroes of sports media. I'm stuck in this pit, working for less than slave wages, working on my day off. This is the Producers Podcast with Brady Farkas. I'm the executive producer. Oh, you're the executive producer. And it starts now. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Barrett Sports Media Producers Podcast. Today, we talk with Billy Gill of Metalark Media and the Levitard Network. So we've asked Billy about leaving ESPN with the Levitard show and what the differences are between the iterations of Levitard then and now. We also talk about what it's like working with Stu Gotts, how much of Stu Gotts's jokes are written by him and how much are given to him by people like Billy in the shipping container. I've got a producer at my radio job who's so deep into the Levitard nation, he throws me some questions that you got to like are way in the weeds so we get some great stories out of that, including about how Billy got his own day in a small Georgia town, and we get some advice for young and new producers as well. So, Billy, interestingly enough, at my radio station, we have a producer who has an unhealthy obsession with all things Levitard Nation. So I have like a lot of like professional questions I want to ask you, but I took a couple from my producer, Danny, of things he just had to have answered and things that I didn't even know about. So t- what can you tell me about Billy Gill Day in Cartersville, Georgia in 2019. Oh, wow. Okay. So thank you for having me, first of all. Billy (laughs) Gill Day in Cartersville, Georgia in 2019. So I was going up to cover uh, the Super Bowl at Radio Row in Atlanta in 2019. And I had a mayor, the mayor of Cartersville, Georgia, Matt Santini, reach out to me on Twitter and say, Hey, if you, we want to honor you. We want to have Billy Gill day in Cartersville, Georgia. Would you be able to attend? Um, and I believe that they were asking me like what day I'd be able, would I be able to do Wednesday? Would I be able to do Thursday and Cartersville? I didn't know. I thought, you know, it was in Georgia, whatever is like 45 minutes away. So we had a crazy schedule. Um, I could, I didn't commit to anything at the time, which sounds insane. If someone wants to give you a day, but I, I just had other responsibilities for ESPN at the time. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to drive just with the schedule that I had. Um, and then they they did the day anyway, and they put it on a marquee in like their uh, <laughs> their town square. And I said, well, I can't not do this now. So I went and I went with uh, my friend Charlie Hume, who was doing TV with us at the time. We rented a car and we drove to Cartersville, Georgia. We would let them know, hey, we're on the way. And they're like, oh, crap, like. We didn't think you were coming. We took down the marquee. So then they had to go and they had to put it back up. So we drive over there. It's like 45 minutes, an hour away. We go. They present me with this nice um, declaration, which I need to have framed still, but I have like in a safe place. I want to get it framed and put it up somewhere. Um, And it was Billy Gill Day. And it was literally there was a proclamation. There was like a podium or a lectern or whatever where they read the proclamation. And it was me. Our TV producer who was, you know, recording it on an iPhone and streaming it live, the mayor and one other person and <laughs> no one else from the town or anyone else was there. So it was like four or five of us total as this was being read to absolutely no one and being streamed to like 15 people on like Facebook Live or something at the time. 
But at least you showed up because I know Jeff Turn a little bit, who's now at ESPN Radio. He's been trying to get Stu Gottstay in South Dakota for like five years, oh, and Lord. Stu never showed up. So at least that makes you a better man than Stu Gotts. So, it, I mean, I guess in Stu Gotts's defense, uh, it was a much shorter commute, and all I had to do was figure out how to rent a car, get there, and get back uh, in the time that I had. But yes, oh my God, Jeff Turn. I think in that radio row i actually met him interviewed him he's come down to the studio here in south beach since uh and stugatz i think that stugatz thinks that he's off the hook now (laughs) that he doesn't work for espn anymore uh but jeff was giving him absolutely everything that he had asked for and more and i still can't believe that he didn't make that happen it's (laughs) unbelievable honestly last one from my producer danny again i think he's going way into the bag here what does it mean to host Croquetta Palooza? Oh Lord! Okay, so that happened. I told this... you, unhealthy obsession from from yeah. my guy Danny. Well, does Danny have more questions? And I've just been talking for too long. And no, 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 he has more him. questions. But you know, he wants to know why Levitard calls you an anarchist if you really are an anarchist. He I wants to know a lot of things, but. Yeah. Well, okay, so Croquetta Palooza was a. Uh, do you know what croquetas are or no? No, at first I thought it was croquet and he had a typo. No, so croquetas are, um, I don't know if they're actually uh, Cuban, but it, they're very popular down here in Cuban restaurants and Hispanic restaurants. And it's like breaded, um, think of like a mozzarella stick type thing, but softer. It's breading on the outside and then the inside is filled with a variety of things. So like very common okay. one is like ham is one, chicken is one. After Thanksgiving, some people will make turkey croquetas. So there's a like croqueta festival that actually just happened last Friday. And I was asked to be the like MC of the croqueta eating contest, which I was very concerned about because I don't do a lot of like MC stuff. In fact, I don't do any MC stuff at all. And I still get kind of nervous like talking in front of people because like on the you'd think like oh on the radio like this is you know whatever my job is i talk in front of people and i'm heard you know by however many people listen to the show but it's really only being done and you know this because like you're doing a podcast you do a radio show like you know that there's only like six or seven people around if even that and that's a lot right so it's very different from doing it uh in public so i was very stressed out about it the whole thing lasted maybe five minutes um and Funny enough, there was a DJ who was doing this event, and I I shouldn't say this, but there was a DJ who was doing the event who didn't know that I was supposed to be hosting, so I actually started hosting the contest uh, on his own, and then they had to come in and say, no, 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 this is the host, and then I had to go out there, and they had to get a microphone. It was super embarrassing because (laughs) of the mix-up, so if I didn't have nerves before, I was like, this is actually perfect where I was going to just sit back and be like, okay, this person could just host it. Like, I'm fine with that. It's not a big deal. Like, I'll just eat croquetas. It'll be great. So I was asked by the person who's known as Burger Beast to do this, and it was a delightful time. And then hopefully they'll have me back and I can have redemption and host it on my own next year, maybe. (laughs) The last thing that Danny wants to know is a crossover question, something I would want to know too. He wants to know how much of Stu Gatz's jokes are his own original thoughts and how many are fed to him by the shipping container. Are you his ghostwriter? Um, wow, I'm putting him in a bad spot. We can pass say... if you want, but we're going to pass judgment on Stu Gatz anyways. Oh, we're not passing. I would say 
at this point, 30 to 40 original thoughts, then 60 to 70 things being fed. But he uh, he's gotten better. He it's a weird dynamic. He will blindly trust me on a lot of them and just go straight with a lot of the jokes that I'll tell him or Chris <laughs> Cody will tell him or whatever. Uh, but I've learned recently that there's a line and he is doing some editing on the fly if it's something that he knows will really put him in a bad spot. <laughs> He's pretty good at just going with things, but if it's really, really going to put him in a bad spot, he'll stop it now, which is kind of great that yeah. we've gotten to the point where before it was like, I don't know if I trust this to go to blind trust to you're putting me in a bad spot. I'm not doing this. <laughs> I don't want to look like a total fool. What is the difference you think in the Lebetard nation since going independent with DraftKings as opposed to being on terrestrial radio at ESPN? Um, that's a good question. I think that when we were at ESPN, we were exposed to and consumed by people who probably, you know, found us on TV or on ESPN radio just because we were on, which was great for, you know, growth. And we found so many more listeners like that where now it's really the diehards that are there and people who have sought us out, who stuck with us the entire time. And it's been great because, you know, we're still, we're still doing fantastic. And the fact that, you know, you attribute some of the success when you're on ESPN to ESPN. And there's always the question of, will you still have that? If you leave ESPN, how much of the success is just because of ESPN versus how much of it is, you know, true fan support and i mean the fans have followed us which has been great um and it's allowed us to keep growing uh so i'd say that the main difference is you would have the people that stumbled into you or that listened to you or watched you just because you were on espn where now we know the people are there just for us you know sometimes not always but i I, you know i can think of a lot of the dan patrick show producers were with dan at espn and then traveled with him some of the cowherd producers traveled with him from ESPN to Fox. You as a young guy, was it a hard decision for you to to break off from ESPN, you individually, to say, okay, I'm going to leave the company and, and go wherever Dan goes? Um, I think that a big part of it was, like, ESPN, obviously working for ESPN was a dream come true, and one that I didn't even think was an attainable dream, right? Because... I live down here in Miami. I've lived in Miami my whole life, aside from like a summer that I did an internship in Washington. But I've been down here my whole life. Um, and you watch ESPN, you grow up listening to ESPN. And it's always a dream as like most sports fans. Like I want to work for ESPN one day, right? And being someone who I'm very family-based and and my family's down here. Uh, I wanted to build my family down here, have my my daughter down here. Um, be around my wife's family. So it's kind of like, how do I work for ESPN and live down here? And it doesn't seem like a thing that's really a viable option because you'd have to go up to Bristol. So even working for ESPN was a dream come true and being able to do that while living down here was incredible. Uh, but I mean, I was with Dan and Stugatz from before ESPN, right? Mm-hmm. So we started locally down here at a station called 790 The Ticket. I started as an intern, eventually... I got hired when some people left um, and then I was a producer and we produced the show. You know, I was on the show maybe four years or so before it went to ESPN, three or four years before it went to ESPN. So 
while it was a dream come true at ESPN, it was also kind of like I felt in a way I helped build what this was. And you kind of wanted to write it out and see where it took you and what, you know, it could ultimately become. Obviously, there's uncertainty and you're leaving the security of working for a company like Disney um, and ESPN with like incredible benefits. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a stable company. It's the worldwide leader. You know that they're going to be there um, where when you break free and you're starting something new, we, there was that uncertainty. Are the fans going to follow us? What do we do? Where are we going to end up? Uh, but it's one of those things where it's like you write it out. Uh, you, you've been here the whole way. You kind of want to see where the ride takes you and where it ends up, you know? How cool is it to see what the Levitard Nation and the Metal Arc Media footprint has become? You know, I know you're involved in a bunch of different stuff kind of with the company and you're doing the the Stugatz football show and all that. Kind of what is it like for you and to see the the company grow? It's been interesting, right? Because when you work for a company as big as ESPN, and it's ridiculous for me saying this because I created my own podcast at ESPN mainly because no one was paying attention where I just reviewed MTV's The Challenge every week. <laughs> but when you have, um, I don't want to say freedom because like we do that a lot and I don't want to like overstate the freedom, but you're able to, I guess, when you work for, a, a you know, a company that's just starting up, that's trying to find its way, you're able to kind of see, like scratch certain itches, right? Where Stugatz, while at ESPN, for example, had stupidity, uh, but, you know, probably couldn't have just decided I want to do a weekly football show called God Bless Football, where, you know, when you're starting a company and people are finding their way, you can kind of say, hey, I want to do a football podcast and, you know, host a show called God Bless Football and kind of just do it and if it works they're not really going to tell you don't do that because everyone's trying to find their footing so you're able to kind of take chances on certain things and if it works you can kind of keep doing it where you know at a larger more established company i'd say there's football departments there's football people there's you know people that are hired to do certain things so it's harder to create things without having to get you know certain approvals by certain people here, kind of, if you want to take a shot at something, you can take it. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, you can move on and take another shot. I'll get you out of here on this. Usually my last question is about advice to young or new producers, but I'll kind of spin that in a little bit of a different direction with you, because I know that, you know, based on, I read an interview that you did a couple of years ago that you kind of stumbled into sports media would probably be the wrong way of saying it, but I know you started out doing some news stuff. That wasn't really your thing. Then you kind of pushed into sports. So kind of just, how did you, you know, find your footing in sports and, you know, maybe some advice for some people that don't go to school dedicated for just sports media to, to find their footing. One, how did you find anything like that? That's incredible because you are right. And I wonder where you found that, but it was an interview with, uh, it might've been, Florida International alumni uh, or something? Pause up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, just a quick story, and then I'll give you the advice. So I, when I started, I, I've always, always been a sports fan, right? And one of my concerns as a, you know, someone coming out of high school, in high school, I did yearbooks. So I, it was kind of like media, right? Kind of journalism. I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to study. 
Um, and I went and I was taking a bunch of elective credits and a bunch of like, you know, the core curriculum stuff like yeah. that. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And then I decided, you know what, let me get into media. I, I liked doing it in high school. Let me give it a shot. But sports was always kind of my outlet uh, when I was done. Uh, or when I was stressed or whatever, like I'd go home, I'd watch sports, I'd watch random college basketball games, college football, stuff like that. It was always kind of like my release from the things that stressed me, like my escape almost, right? And my mistake when I started was, I said, I like media, but I don't want to go into sports media because I don't want it to feel like a job. I don't want it to kind of ruin my escape because I don't, that's the last thing I want is for what I go to as a release to feel like work, right? So I started doing news, um, and I absolutely hated it because it was local <laughs> news. And, like, you watch local news. You go in there, and I remember, like, one of the day. One, it's, like, super negative. It's always about, like, crime and murder mm -hmm. and this and that. And then I think the day that I walked in, I was like, what am I doing? Was they were doing a story where a crocodile, a new crocodile, was being, like, delivered to the zoo down here. And I, I remember thinking, I'm like, this is absurd. Like, I'm going to go to college to go down to the zoo, get a degree, spend all of this money getting a degree to be covering a crocodile being delivered to the zoo. Like, this is not <laughs> going to make me happy. Um, so then I was like, maybe media is not for me. And I kind of just like stumbled around for a little bit. And then eventually, like a year or two later, like I was like, I need to I need to get my act together. Let me go for it. Let me do sports. And, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Um, so I started going crazy, applying for internships. I got an internship both at radio and at TV at the same time. I honestly liked TV more. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I was kind of killing myself because I was working uh, part time, going to school full time. I had two internships. It was like a whole thing. And, and I was like, I can't do this both. I'm going to have to decide. Um, and I probably deciding would have chosen TV just because I like TV more. And then the decision was made for me. The TV internship said, hey, we're replacing all the interns at the end of the semester. Like, thanks for everything. And I stuck at radio. And the radio station where I started interning was 790 The Ticket. It was on George Sedano's morning show. Oh, wow. uh, from there, uh, the decision was made for me. I'm like, well, I'm going to stick with my internship. From there, I then started doing Sedano and Levitard, then eventually switched over just to Levitard. Uh, and here I am today, uh, long story <laughs> short. So I would say uh, my advice to young uh producers interns whatever people trying to get into the industry is don't do what i did in terms of like feeling like like don't not chase a passion because you're worried that you're not going to be passionate about it anymore like chase your passions also be realistic uh with the dreams that you have and figure out how to achieve them you know what i mean don't think that i want to be on xyz it's just going to happen for me. You need to kind of figure out a path. So I always dreamed of working for ESPN. I didn't think that it was actually going to happen. But when I was at the radio station, I thought, you know, who works for ESPN is Dan Lebetard. Like, if there's a way for me to get to ESPN one day, you know, this is probably a person that could help me get there. Um, and I would also say, and it's super cliche, but I'd say work hard and be kind to people like outwork all the people who are around you doing the same thing that you're doing. Um, I was very lucky when at the time the executive producer was Mark Hockman. He ended up leaving the show. Uh, I had already been interning there for two years. He ended up leaving the show. So people moved up and they needed to bring someone in to help out. 
there was probably six or seven interns uh, that were interning there at the time or had interned since I had started. Um, and they chose me. And I'd like to think that it was because of work ethic and an impression that I made. Um, but also just kind of be kind and be genuine because it, it really pays off. Even with people that you don't think could help you, you never know. And like you're in the industry, it's very incestuous you come across the same people all the time just because someone could be an intern now doesn't mean that they can't be your boss three years from now five years from now so work as hard as you can do something to stand out make an impression do the extra little things even if you think no one's watching because there's always people taking notice and paying attention to what it is that you're doing um, and don't think that you're above doing any one job or above any one person, because that's when you're going to find out that that person that you treated poorly years before didn't forget it. And now they're in a position of power. Uh, and also just be a nice person because it's the right thing to do. You know what I mean? Not just professionally, but it doesn't cost you anything to just be like a decent person. And, you know, hopefully... I've been very lucky and things have worked out for me and hopefully, you know, this helps someone kind of do the right thing and, and it works out for them too. And Billy Gill was awesome. We went 20 minutes. They tell me to only go 15, but I could have gone another 15 there. I wanted more stories from Billy, but I thought there was some really good stuff about how to get into sports when maybe it wasn't your calling, at least initially, about what it was like to leave ESPN. Some great stories about 790, the ticket, RIP at this point, at least as a sports station. Um, thought it was really, really cool. Billy Gill, very interesting, very informative, and anyone in the Levitard crew, you know, fits that mold for sure. We'll see you next time with the Barrett Sports Media Producers Podcast. You don't want to believe it, but maybe the show is over. Thank you for listening to the Producers Podcast. To enjoy past and future episodes, check out iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, the iHeart app, and BarrettSportsMedia.com. 